from Exodus chapter 3, and that's on page 59. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this moment, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's, um, let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, speak through me. Enable the words that I say to be words from you and for you, and help them to change our hearts and minds and bring us into a closer relationship with you. Help us to find the truths in this passage that we need to find and which we need to see and to learn what we need to learn of you from it. Be with my praying with this congregation as well. I ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, there was a small child who went to his parents and said, Mommy, 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 I know the name of God. And she said, you do? Yeah, yeah, they said it in church today. They did? Yeah. Well, what is the name of God then? It's Peter. I'm sorry, Peter? Yeah. They, they had the reading, and they said, thanks, Peter God. <laughs> now, of course, that's, that's rather silly, but there is a lot of meaning in names. There's a lot of importance in names. Um, and um, in this passage, there's a lot of concentration on God's name, the name of God. In Hebrew... You never, you're never given a name that was just a word. It was always, it was always a, a meaning. So if you think about Jacob, for example, he was called heel because he came out grasping his brother's heel. Um, or if you think about how Abraham's name is changed or Sarah's name. All these different names that you see, they always, they're always have meanings. So when we think about the names that we use for God, actually most of them don't have meaning. They're ones which we've created effectively because we don't necessarily have quite the right reading of, um, of the scriptures. So Jehovah, for example, is, is a, a, a transliteration of the combination of Yahweh and Adonai because they didn't pronounce the Yahweh and so they put the, the vowels of Adonai above and then when we read it, we sort of misread it. So, so the Jehovah's Witnesses are, are testifying to a God who doesn't exist. But actually, God isn't as bothered about what we call him in that sense. The Shem of God, the name of God, means the character of God as well. And that's what he, we're going to meet in this passage. So, the names of my family. I said that, that names have important meanings. And, and my name, Timothy, Daniel, means to honor God... And um, God is my judge, or, or, to, or judge God. Will, ju will God not deliver justly? Natalie uh, means Christmas. It's from 
the Latin, and Esther, her middle name means star, so she's literally Christmas star. She was born in September, so... <clears throat> mind you, September... No, 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 no mind. Um, um, my eldest son is Aidan Ezekiel. Uh, that means little fire strengthened by God. You can decide for yourself whether or not that's a, an accurate description of him. Mayanna, who's with us tonight, um, her name means hidden water, like an underground stream, an underground fountain. When, when Moses strikes the rock later on, it's a ma'ayan that pours forth, hidden water. Promised by God entirely or universally. Mayanna Elisabeth Emma. And then Callum is peace or dove. And Elijah, God is God. Callum, Elijah, peace, dove, God is God. And so... We didn't necessarily set out to do this, but we ended up with three signs of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Names are important. And whilst we don't, in our society now, name people for their characteristics, you think about the, uh, the Indians, where, where actually you were originally named by the first thing that they saw outside of the tent, and then would later assume a name based upon the characteristics that you were displaying. And so um, in, the, in the film with Kevin Costner, he becomes Dances with Wolves, his Indian name, because that's what they see him doing. He, it's an unusual thing. He dances with wolves. Okay? In the same way, we're going to see the importance of God's name. But first, let's get into the rest of the passage. And we'll come back to that later. We have, in this passage, the God who calls. The God who calls. So Moses... Uh, is, uh, is minding his own business. He's been 40 years since, uh, since he murdered someone in, Israel, uh, in, in Egypt. Um, he fled his life as a prince of Egypt, um, and he has come to Midian, and he's, he's originally rolled aside a stone so that, um, so that the, um, the, the daughters of a Midianite priest can get their sheep to water, and then he's ended up marrying one of them and had a couple of kids and... Um, He's, he's minding his own business. He's 80 years old now, and he's just tending his father-in-law's sheep. Now, we don't know how old his father-in-law is. It's entirely possible his father-in-law is actually the same age as Moses because, you know, he was 40 when he married a daughter. But he's there grazing sheep on Mount Horeb, tending the flock. It's interesting that in our first verse we see that uh, his father-in-law is a priest of Midian. I mean, I must admit, it always sort of struck me a little bit, sort of, why, why is he a priest? What's, what's significant about this? But of course, if you go back to uh, Genesis 25, verses 1 to 4, you'll see that actually Abraham has more sons. The song, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons as Father Abraham. Yeah, well, the ones we tend to think about are... Isaac, of course, and Ishmael. But he actually has another six or seven sons by his, uh, his concubine, uh, Keturah. Um, and one of those sons is Midian. Now, whilst Midian is sent away with gifts, there isn't any good reason to believe that Abraham wouldn't have passed his belief in God on to his son. And so Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, may actually well be a priest of God. It may well have been corrupted in the meantime, but, but he advises Moses later on. And that advice may well be from a priest of God. Anyway, Moses has been grazing the sheep. He leads the flock to the far side of the wilderness. 
and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Why was it the mountain of God? Well, not because, not because it was already the mountain of God. It was the mountain of God because of the events in this passage. There's nothing particularly special about the mountain until God makes it special. There, verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, flames from a bush. The angel of the Lord is a, a being so identified with Yahweh that to see him is to see God. And you can see that in Genesis 16, 18, 22, Numbers 22, Judges 6 and 13. And many identify the angel as a pre-incarnate son of God. After all, when Jesus goes back into heaven, there is a man in heaven. But before Jesus returns to heaven, Jesus exists. We know that Jesus exists. And so the angel of the Lord, the flaming bush. And then Moses saw this bush. It's flaming. And it's, it's burning. And he says, I'll go and see this great sight, this strange sight. Why does this bush burn and yet not get consumed by the flames? It's not like there's a multiplex down the road that he can go to. You take your, your kicks where you can get them. There's a burning bush. I'll go and look at it. As he goes up to this bush, as he goes up to it, we see in verse 4, when the Lord, Yahweh, saw that he had gone up to look, God, Elohim, called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. It almost seems like we've got two members of the Trinity here, actually. Maybe all three are there. There's no good reason not to think that when God speaks, he can't speak through more than one part of himself. Moses, um, not at all at this point perturbed by the fact that the bush, which wasn't burning, is speaking to him, says, here I am. At least that part's good. He's, he's, he's ready and he's willing and he's able. Um, Do not come any closer, says God in verse 5. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. The ground you're standing on is holy. God speaks to Moses. And he says that this ground is holy. Why? Because of God's presence. It's not the ground itself that makes it holy. God makes it holy by being there. The fire which burns and doesn't consume the bush can be seen as God's self-revelation. God's glory, holiness and purity are demonstrated in the fire. God cannot tolerate any impurity. He must judge and consume it. Yet the bush not being consumed is the reason Moses turns to see that great sight. And thus it's a picture of God's sovereign power being applied through grace and mercy that the fiery holiness of God would not destroy or consume the object of his revelation. God commands him. He speaks to him. And he says, take your sandals off. We, we know that uh, slaves in those days would, would, you, would used to go around without anything on their feet. Nowadays, if you went into a mosque, you would be expected to take your, your shoes off because it's one of the, the ways in which they demonstrate that, they're, uh, that, that, that what they're doing is holy. Take your sandals off. And then he introduces himself. I am the God of your father. What, Amran? Pharaoh? No, it's, in, it's the plural. I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He's greatly scared. All of a sudden, this, this isn't the, the, the fun thing he's turned aside to look at, this great sight. This, this burning bush has now become an encounter with the living God, with the God of his fathers. And the Lord says, I have seen the misery of my people. God's seen. I have heard them crying. I am concerned about their suffering. God's seen what's going on. This hasn't occurred because Moses has been going, Oh God, when will you come and try bring the Israelites out of Egypt? When will you release, reveal to me my, my purpose, O oh Lord? No, he's busy grazing the sheep. That's his habitual passage. God calls Moses. He's the God who calls. But he's also the God who comes down. He's come down, he says, because, because of what he's seen. So, in verse 8, I have come down to rescue them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Will he do it by himself? No, he's going to use his instrument of Moses. He's going to use, he's going to use Moses as his hands, but the, the miracles, the miraculous signs will be of God. And I'm going to bring them into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It just means it's fertile. Um, in fact, it means that it's not overly um, agriculturized, um, because when you do that, you start to lose some of the milk and, uh, and honey. Verse 9, he's still seen what's going on. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing you. So what is he going to do about it? He's come down, and now he's going to send Moses. God sends him. Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Well, isn't this good news? 400 years of slavery are going to be over. God sent Moses. Moses already said, here I am. Um, no, no, Moses says, um, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? To which he probably doesn't get the answer he really wants, because God says, I will be with you. Who am I, Moses says. The answer is, it's not who you are, Moses, it's who I am. And this will be the sign to you, says God, verse 12. This will be the sign when you have brought the people, singer, when you, singular, have brought the people out of Israel, uh, Egypt, you, plural, the people, will worship God on this mountain. Of course, it's a, a bit of a funny sign because you can only prove it when you've actually proved it, by which point you already know you're out of Egypt. Um, it's not like the signs that God shows Moses later on when he turned a hand into a leprous and turns a rod into a snake and things. These are things Moses can see immediately. Moses has got the burning bush in front of him, but the sign that God's giving him is actually a promise. A promise that he will come back to this mountain, that this mountain will be God's mountain, and that later it will be Mount Sinai. It will be where God delivers the commandments twice. But now, Moses says, well, well suppose I go. Suppose I go. If I go, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? 
how will they know that I'm speaking from this God? God's Shem, his name, his character. And we're going to skip over that because we're coming back to that later. But in verse 16, we see the God who delivers. Go assemble the, Israelite, the elders of Israelites, he says. Gather and say to them, say to them that the Lord, the Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt. The elders will listen to you, like they did when, when he was leaving Egypt. No, now they will listen to you. And you're to go to the king of Egypt and say, we're going to take a three-day journey into the wilderness. Why a three-day journey into the wilderness? Well, because it meant that the Egyptians would not have to look on the, uh, uh, on the sacrifices that they were going to be performing, which would be abominable. abominable. Yeah, they weren't very pleased about them. <laughs> um, and at this point, you know, that wouldn't have necessarily been an unreasonable request of Pharaoh. Although, which God would ally himself with slaves? You know, what kind of God is this that his people are all enslaved and you're going to ask me, Pharaoh, to let them go? Verse 19. God says, But I know, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And we'll come to those later on in the passages, later on in the book of Exodus. But here, there is a promise from God that he is going to save Israel. He is going to save Israel with mighty acts. And he's going to save Israel despite the fact that Pharaoh isn't going to let them go. That Pharaoh, Moses is being told right from the start, will not just acquiesce. And verse 21, after that, he will let you go, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. You will take gold and silver with you. Every woman's to ask, and they'll be given it. This is not just them plundering Egypt. It's not them looting Egypt. This is the recompense for 400 years of slavery. This is God's people exiting, exodusing, Egypt. So, let's have a look at God's Shem. <clears throat> now, Hebrew is a, is a pictorial language. It's a, it's a language where you can sort of see the language. You know, you get some feel of it in English when we think when we see things like. Um, uh, he got up and stood. He opened his mouth and spoke. It's, it's that sort of idea that you, you can see what's going on, sort of concreteness to it. It's not merely described, but it's verbally painted. Not just a landscape, but a moving panorama. It's amazingly vivid, concise, simple and direct, which makes it difficult to translate. Psalm 23, for example, contains 55 words, and most translations require about twice as many to translate it. So just as Eha 
where God says, I am Eha Asha Eha, I am who I am. Just as Eha, I am, exist, will be, has all the meanings at the same time, Shem, the name in Hebrew, means also character, renown. So when Moses asks God his name, he is not just asking for God's name, or rather, he thinks he's just asking for God's name, but in fact, the answer he gets is about God's character. God, Elohim, is his job description. Lord, Yahweh, is his personal name, his Shem, his character. In verse 13, Moses asks God his name, but receives a description of his character. To Moses' sense of inadequacy in verse 11, who am I? The Lord replies, it is who I am that matters. And Motya writes, this is in fact the significance of the puzzling and enigmatic name the Lord gives himself. I am who I am, verse 14. As things work out in Exodus, we could spell out the name like this. I alone know who I am. You are dependent on what I reveal to you. In every situation, I will show you that I am what you need. And indeed, so it was. They needed a deliverer from Egyptian power and a redeemer to bring them to God. The Lord revealed himself as deliverer and redeemer in chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. Indeed, this became throughout the Old Testament the basic definition of I am who I am, the God who overthrows his foes and saves his people. God Shem, the two name that Elohim, God, gives to Moshe, Moses, is the Eya, the I am, and the Yahweh. Eha, Asha, Eha. I will exist because I will exist. It's not really a name so much so as a statement of, of, of intent. I'm the God that was and the God that is. I exist because I exist. I am who I am. And the God who will be. I will be who I will be. I am that which exists. Of course, Jesus later on in... Um, uh, in replying to the Sadducees... Will use this phrase that he's used earlier on uh, in uh, verse 6. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead but of the living. He's going to use this to prove that God is not just the God who was, but he's the God who is. I am who I am. I am who I will be. A description of God's character, a description of God's Shem. In verse 15... Elohim again gives his name to Moshe Moses, but this time it's Yahweh. The two names, um, Eha and Yahweh, are related. And you can see that in this little table. First person, second person, and third person. I exist, Eway, I am. Tiway, you exist, you are. Or Yiway, he exists, he is. Okay? So although to us... They don't originally sound quite the same. The root words are the same behind them. And so when in verse 15, if you look at your footnote in your, ES, in your NIV Bible, you'll notice that um, C, 
first of all says, I will be what I will be. But verse 15, the footnote D, says, the Hebrew for Lord sounds like and may be related to the Hebrew for I am in verse 14. It's the same name. So the name that we know, when we, when we use that personal name for God, we are actually saying all those things about God's character, about who he is. But of course, who God is, when he says, I am, we know now that he's revealed more to us. Because actually, God's son has come down and said, I am. Jesus shocks the, uh, the, the crowds and the Pharisees when he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, in John 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. And we're told that they, the next thing that they do is to pick up stones to stone him because they recognize from this a statement that Jesus is claiming to be God. Jesus isn't just saying, I'm the son of man. He isn't just claiming to be a, a, a good man or a prophet. No, Jesus is claiming to be God. He's claiming that he was there before Abraham. And he is deliberately associating himself with I am. And he makes other I am statements in John uh, in 620, 824, 28, 18 verse 5. And the metaphysical the metaphorical ones, the I am statements, where again we see the character of Jesus in what he's saying, in what he's promising. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. In the same way as God has defined his character by who he is, by who he was, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. I am who I am. I am who I will be. Now we see in Jesus' statements who he is. The door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the God who calls. You did not choose me, he says, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his, his steps. Jesus is the God who comes down. What God comes down into the world and subjects himself to the suffering that Jesus does? That's our God. Jesus said, I have come, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And Jesus answered, for this I've been born and for this I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is the God who delivers, the God who saves, the salvation that we have been waiting for. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the God who Moses meets. And when it says at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, page 215, if you want to look, 
Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. No one until Jesus. Until God himself comes down and delivers us. And so the God who calls Moses, the God who came down to Moses, the God who delivers the Israelites is the same God who we follow now. Is the same I am who says, I am enough. I am what I will be. And you will be my children. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who calls and a God who comes down, a God who is, who is willing to, to get his feet dirty and to suffer because you love us so much that you, were, that you saved your people out of Israel and that the Exodus becomes a motif throughout the Bible that you, that you invest in us your sonship and you call us to you and you save us not when we deserve it not when we are holy but when it is unexpected when it is unsought when it is undeserved help us Lord to live for you to worship and to serve you in all that we do and to show you out in our lives that others may encounter you as well we ask this in your name Lord Jesus Amen Thank you.